things might be getting softer. Usually by the third day, things are getting softer. Softness sounds like it would always feel good, but it doesn't always feel so good. And sometimes it feels good. So bodhisattvas are in service, or are of service, to all beings. So bodhisattvas are of service to all karma. So they're of service to their own karma. And I was thinking about um, being of service because this was something that was in no way clear to me when I started this practice. I'm not sure it's clear to me now. We may have all kinds of different relationships to service. Likely we do. When I was young, eight-ish, my father would do odd jobs in people's houses, anything he could pick up. And I would go along. And I remember still very much in my body. We did not, for me, my house was, we had an outhouse, we had a wood stove, we had a very different, I had, I had, that was my upbringing. And so we would go into these houses and they were nice by my standards. And I remember that feeling, I don't know if any of you have ever been in positions where you're working on somebody else's house. Some of you may be in the opposite position where people come and work on your house. It's intimate and it's miles apart at the same time. And I remember being in that um, situation and feeling to my core that I had, that I didn't deserve to be there, that the people in this house were better. Nobody said that outright. Everything was saying that. So to be in that situation of service, isn't, it's a different thing. That feeling was a feeling of um, a kind of quiet cowering amid, for me at the time, so many glistening things. And that is what I carried into my, that's what I brought into my notion of service. That's what I knew. And so I was not very fond of it. It was not an idea that played out well for me in the beginning. When I came, at first, when I came to Zen practice, I just thought it was all magical. So this isn't like normal sweeping. This is magical sweeping. <laughs> This is magical mopping. This is magical cleaning the zendo. And then that wore off. <laughs> and I realized it was just sweeping. 
and then I wasn't quite as happy as I was when it was magical sweeping. I knew the feeling in my body of being in a servant relationship based on conditions of a society. I knew that. But being of service was a different feeling. It's a different thing. It was beyond my capacity because to be of service, there's agency. Being of service is a shift in understanding what that is. Um, it's not at all the same. It's the confusion, this very similar parallel confusion that happens when we've experienced humiliation a lot in our life. And we cannot tell the difference between humility and humiliation. When to be humble feels like, once again, I'm being humiliated. Not the same thing. So it's not a simple phrase to say. I bring that up because it's not a simple phrase to say, a bodhisattva is of service to all beings. It's kind of nice to hear. But then we start practicing it. And then all of our stuff comes up around what it is to serve. We, if you're anything like me, you spend a great deal of time just ignoring that part of it. I just didn't pay that much attention to in the early years of what it was to serve. I mostly paid attention to what it was to sit Sazen. I mostly paid attention to what it was to become powerfully devoid of all of those painful things. I wanted the glistening house without the little boy. I did not want the little boy in the house. The little boy was a nuisance. Not really service. More like domination. And we do this. This is what most of us do in our own clever various ways. We come in and we have good feelings and we lock onto that. And we want to eradicate the bad ones. Or maybe we're in the habit of indulging the lousy feelings and sticking with those because that's the thing that makes us feel like we're somehow real and safe and solid. Whichever one it is. Or it's some mix, but we go toward the things that resubstantiate ourselves as who we think we are, whatever those are. And then when we walk into a room and something unexpected happens, like I'm on my way to Zazen and someone hands me a broom. How dare you hand me a broom? I'm on my way to Zazen. We're not realizing at that moment that being handed the broom is the training of the mind that can be of service to karma and zazen. We think they're separate things. The same as that we don't realize sometimes that the training 
in Zazen is to be of open service to all beings. That these things are going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until they're just not the same. There's no difference at all. And so when I come to my mind, am I trying to clean out the house? Or am I being of service to all the karma that's arising? Because if you've, you, some of you have probably noticed that the cleaning out of the house doesn't really work. Somehow the stuff gets behind the walls and under the carpet. <laughs> and so then we turn toward it. And we're there for it. So how are we there for it? How is it... You know, the, the, the Jisha role, the Jisha role just came up for me. The Jisha role is this training. In the beginning, when I, <laughs> I've been Jisha for three different teachers, and, you know, in the beginning, it was the same process. This seems to be what my, it was magical Jisha-ness. This was great. I was lighting altars, and I was doing all these special things with the teacher. And then I started getting really annoyed. because the teacher was asking me to do these stupid things I didn't want to do. Or they just kept asking me to do things, period, whether they were stupid or not. And I would have to do them and do them and do them. And who do you think you are? How come you're the one asking me to do all this stuff? Go do it yourself. I do my stuff myself, you go do your stuff yourself. <laughs> And then something switches. And this is something, Laura, Laura quotes this all the time, it goes way back to us, maybe the, one of the first sessions we ever did together. And um, I was Reb's Jisha, and it struck me during that time that this is a flip that happened for me, that changed my relationship to this, which was I went into that thinking that what, my, what I'm supposed to do in life is figure out the things I care about and take care of them. In other words, the things that I love, I should take care of the things that I love. Makes sense. Except it turned and I realized, actually, I learned to love the things I take care of. The caring was first. The loving was the thing that came out of it. I didn't love the Zendo when I first started taking care of the Zendo. I just took care of the Zendo. I certainly didn't love Sangha the first time I started being in Sangha. I didn't love the way we organized things. I didn't love the way Zen worked. I was enamored of it, but that's different. I started out enamored, then I got disappointed, then I went through all that, and then love started. 
This is the same thing for our own karma. We're enamored, we're disappointed. We take care of it, we take care of it, we take care of it. And then one day, there's love there for this person. Not because we sat down and said, I am going to love me now. That hasn't ever worked for me. Maybe that works for you. But that does not work for me. I, it was a long, hard road. And so then the jisha, there's this, what ends up happening with the jisha role is this kind of quiet abiding where you're attending all the time. You know where the person you're serving is going to, what their needs are. And you learn to attend without all your will. That should sound familiar. Because that's what, you're, that's what we're doing on the cushion. We're attending to everything without all of our will. Without what we think should be happening. They are exactly the same training. There is the emergence of a responsiveness that is simply present. And then there's a need and we respond. And someone hands us a broom and we take it. And we don't go through all the reasons why we don't want the broom right then and there. Because really, who cares whether I want the broom at that moment or not? It's not to say I still don't argue. I do. My mind argues. But who cares? If it's coming from a sense of, of service, if we're confusing the two, then it matters a whole lot. If we're still confusing the two, then there's all kinds of... And some whole religious communities confuse the two. They use the sense of service to convince you that you should, you know, that being in a kind of um, servant position is a good thing. You should just accept your lot because it's good to be of service. Well, those are not the same thing. In my experience, one can significantly make the other one quite difficult to understand. And so, this is not to say, accept our lot. I don't think we accept harm. I don't think that's our way, is to accept harm. We call out harm. But then, in calling out harm, how am I of service to harm? How am I of service to healing harm? How do I cultivate a person who can be of service to that? Because the thing about the bodhisattva being of service to all beings and all karma is that the work is never going to end. Ever. If there's a little part of your mind that still thinks you're going to get to the finish line, there ain't no finish line. Liberation 
doesn't get us to the glistening house. Liberation delivers us into a life of being of service to everyone, which doesn't ever end. So if we're getting irritated with all that, just know that um, the road is the resolution of that irritation, not somehow finding a place where it doesn't arise. In other words, we're not going to get to a place in a perfect scenario where suddenly there's not the request for service. That irritates us. That is not going to happen. There's always going to be a request for service. If you're up for the Bodhisattva way of life, there is always a request for service. So if that is endless, how do we care? This is, this is also a weak point of mind. How do we care for ourselves in the process? How do we be of service to our own bodies, minds, hearts, karma, while we are in service? the bodies, minds, hearts, and karma of everyone else. Because we can lean too far and then just exhaust ourselves. Someone brought this up the other day around generosity and kind of leaning too much into a generosity that drains us. But how do we train for that being of service? So this is where the Bodhisattva training program comes in, which we've talked about many times, the paramitas. So the paramitas give us this kind of um, way of paying attention. First is generosity. So to be generous with everything that is arising in the mind. Right now, there's all kinds of things arising for everybody right now. Good, wonderful feeling things, good, be generous with good, wonderful feeling things. Which means when they go, be generous with their going. And really not so great feeling things, and to be generous with that. The generosity practice shows us all the ways that we are cordoning ourselves off, that we are separating ourselves from other things. The mind of generosity shows all the things we can't be generous with right away. If that's our commitment, then it's like, well, I can't be generous with that part of myself. I can't be generous with this person right now. So that is not an invitation to then say, because they're annoying. Although they might be. But to go, what is, the, what is going on that I can't be generous? That generosity alone isn't clear enough Generosity trains us to be open, but not necessarily as discerning as we could be, which is why we introduce this behavioral discipline, discipline or morality, the taking up of the precepts. Because here, then, it starts to become a lot more discerning. We're in a generous space. 
The generosity also, practicing the generosity first, also keeps us from getting really morally rigid. So there's the generosity piece. When's it end? 11.25. Okay. There's the generosity piece. And then um, we go into morality and there is the capacity to discern. So when we're being of service, generosity, that's kind of obvious. It's pretty hard to be of service and not be generous. A greedy, self-interested person of service doesn't get very far. So we open up to that. But then we have to be, then there's our own, um, there's cultivating our own sense of just relationship with the world, of just relationship with our generosity, of just relationship with each other. That requires cultivation. It's not always so clear to us, unless we had really, really super wise parents, which some of you did. Some of us did. And then we might have a stronger sense of just relationship. But some of us may have some confusion around that. For me, I, had to pay, I still have to pay very close attention to the precepts all of the time. Then we can be, then there's patience. To be of service requires a great deal of patience, considering that it's never going to end. Infinity requires a lot of patience. Um, and to be patient with ourselves in terms of the carrying out the precepts, living into the precepts, living into our moral duty, and with others. Again, not only does infinity take a lot of patience, it requires a lot of energy and effort to keep going. Now, the thing about energy and effort is we often kind of make this a kind of, oh, yeah, there's effort and energy, but there's a moral responsibility to energy and effort. In other words, what nourishes my effort? What nourishes my capacity? What nourishes my ability? I am a conditioned being, too. Am I paying attention to things that nourish the energy and effort required to carry on the task of living in service of all beings? Am I paying attention to the things right now in Zazen that are nourishing me? Am I drinking enough water? Everyone always forgets to drink water because they don't want to go to the bathroom, so they don't drink water. And then they get really tired and they wonder why they're tired. <laughs> and tea is not water. That will dehydrate you more. <laughs> but... Um, so what is, um, what is sustaining that? Now, here's the interesting thing in the Paramitas. It's all the way to number five before we get to concentration meditation. It's not number one. And it certainly isn't the only Paramita. So there's concentration and meditation, but what makes that balanced and possible is that there's generosity, is that there's moral uprightness, is that there's patience, and that there's energy. Then, only then, 
can the mind be fully gathered, fully concentrated? Otherwise, it's going to be fragmented all over the place, and you're going to be, we, we wrestle it into whatever we think we're wrestling it into, whatever glistening house we think we're going to make it. So to, to be in those, to, to know that when we're sitting down to sit zazen, we are bringing the mind of generosity. We are bringing the mind of uprightness. And let's say the mind and the heart and the body of generosity, the mind, the heart, and the body of uprightness, the mind and heart and body of patience, mind, heart, and body of effort and energy. And then all of that gathers together. And when that all gathers together, we say, we translate it as jhana, I mean, what we're translating is the word jhana, which actually historically meant concentration. We often call it meditation because there is a concern that people will um, overemphasize the role of a constant, a specific kind of concentrated mind. But I'm not, I actually don't, I don't have the concern because I don't think it's about concentrating on a specific object. I think it's about the kind of concentration that is about gathering the whole of one's mind, heart, and being together into uh, a concerted effort at being a bodhisattva in the life, in this life. That we're gathering it together. And generosity helps us gather because it's identifying all the ways we separate ourselves. And the practicing of our moral precepts helps us gather because it shows, look at what lying does to the mind. Look at what the desire, the rageful desire to eliminate a person we see as a threat does to the mind and to the heart. Shatters it into a million pieces in a second. And less than a second. So, to attend to it and get patience, the speed of getting beyond our capacity makes the gathering of the mind impossible. And of course, then there's the torpor and sloth and energylessness. We have to pay attention to the energy that allows us to have that ability. The gathering of a body and mind takes energy. If we wear ourselves out, it won't be there. I see this in myself all the time. When I go too far with my energy, suddenly my mind is not gathered anymore. It just starts to hang on things, to try to find energy wherever I can find it. That's my responsibility. So there's a whole lot of care in sitting down and attending to. And also, when I let myself lose energy like that, I don't treat people as well. That's really clear. So all of this goes in, or me, all of this goes into the gathering of the mind. And then, then, that's when wisdom starts to come about. It's in all of that that wisdom begins. Now there's two sides of wisdom. There's the studying of the Dharma in both text and with each other, but then there's the arising of prajna, the arising of 
this deeply relational wisdom that comes out of relationship with each other. It does not come out of separation. It does not appear from separation. It comes out of connection. It comes out between us. It is before, if you look at the roots in Prajna, it's before the regular old knowing we know. It's something that's coming out of the body intuitively. We're out of our bodies intuitively. But it's all this other work. It's all of this other attention that allows for that to happen. So, to be of service as a bodhisattva, we have to attend to our own generosity. And all of these have no separation, so that means self and everyone. Generosity, our moral uprightness, our patience, our energy and effort, our concentration and meditation, and wisdom. That is not servility. That is the, when Tom came in this morning with my breakfast and quietly stood there until I cleared a place for him to sit it down and we bowed to each other in all your beautiful uprightness that you are. Set it down. We bowed, he left, and there was the joy of that exchange. There was the wisdom that came out of that. I, should only, I shouldn't even say it was my breakfast. It was Tom's breakfast. He was giving it to me. It's probably Kristen's breakfast, and then Tom's breakfast. And then. And what comes out of that? So if we think we're sitting on the cushion for wisdom that is arising from ourselves, we are really confused. We are sitting on the cushion, and the wisdom that may arise is arising from all of us together, and way more than that. But at the very least, all of us together. Nobody, nobody is having this kind of pop out of their own single linear reality. So that means, if that's true, that means that our liberation and our wisdom and our joy and all of that emerge out of our service, our being in service to one another. And that will be um, a complicated, because of all of our histories and everything, that will be a complicated process. That we have to be of service to, actually. We have to be of service to the complexity of that, and to the pain of that, and to the karma of that. We can't say, being of service is a complicated process because of our histories together, so let's just ignore it. No. Being of service as a bodhisattva is going to be a complicated process, so we have to be bodhisattvas for the history of pain that makes service difficult. So that we can be free. And that 
is what is happening as we soften on the third day into what's going on, is that we are little bit cell by cell, muscle by muscle, feeling freedom. Feeling what it is not to arm and guard against our world and our histories. So please continue taking care of each other, being of service to each other. When somebody asks somebody to do something and we don't want to do it, do it. Here, at least here. I don't, but you do have, you, I don't know what relationships you're in at work. That's more complicated. But here, something happens, we just do it. And then if you're, in the, if you're the asker and someone has resistance, be generous with that. Be generous with the one asking and being generous with the one being asked. And let's see what happens with that. And then that way we can be certain, because we're all making requests of each other all the time, constantly, all the time, all the time, all the time. I am making a request of the person sitting next to me, even if I'm not consciously making a request. I'm making a request that they sit there because I need their body. Because if you all left the room, I would be weaker. Period. The strength of my zazen is because of the strength of all of your zazen. There is no equivocation that it just is. So we are all making a request of each other to be present for everybody. I need all of you to be present for me. And each of you needs everybody else to be present for you. And so please continue being present for each other and stick with it, even when everything starts clanging that you shouldn't. Stick with it. Thank you. May our intentions be Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.